Welcome to the Freedom Frontline Podcast. As always, this podcast will be completely raw, completely unfiltered, and completely uncensored. In this podcast, we have Jennifer Brasso, known on her lands as White Eagle Woman. She is Anishwanabi Kwe from the woodlands of Lake Huron. Listen as she shares her personal journey of reclaiming her spirit. She is the host of a show called Wild Archaeology and is also a singer, producer, director, and practical herbalist. In this podcast, we discuss a scenario from a personal lens with hopes to awaken the truth about what's happening in Indigenous communities, residential schools, and our opinions on what is happening during this pandemic. You don't want to miss this episode. This talk was amazing. Here we go. So tell us, uh, tell us a little about yourself. Well, um, just start with my name and just to you, that sort of stuff. There's a lot about myself. So, I mean, you know, let's go bring it on. <laughs> okay. Well, my name is Jennifer Brusso. Uh, I'm Anishinaabe Kwe from Northern Ontario, um, right at the top of Lake Huron. Uh, I grew up here for 20 21, 20, somewhere. I was here up until about 20 and then I went out West for a while. And uh, yeah. And, and when I went out West was kind of the journey of who this, who I am as a woman, even who I am in place here. You know, I, I didn't know who I was in place until I left the place that I came from. Right. And, and then I, then I got to rediscover that. And I mean, I had a whole journey that I went on to to take me there that I can share with you. But uh, yeah, you lead the way. Yeah, no, share it all. Absolutely. I mean, you have a lot of knowledge and I uh, I definitely want to pick your brain about a lot of things. But um, I definitely want the audience to know exactly who you are, because I feel like, uh, man, you have so much to offer, like from the TV show to, you know, your knowledge to all of that. So, yeah, just please continue with uh, continue with telling us about yourself. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what sort of like led me to, to, to leave Ontario for a time. Um, I'm just going to turn my phone off here so that it doesn't make any noises. Do not disturb. There we go. Um, I went to school, kind of like an outreach kind of school in, in Toronto when I was 19. And when I was there, I, um, I had quite a few people come up to me say, you know, I, I see you one day working with your people. And I never like at that time, I wasn't really identifying my people, you know, what that even meant to me. Right. Um, I think I was raised quite whitewashed and I'll explain eventually why that happened. I mean, obviously, you, as you can imagine, residential schools would be a reason why my generation would be raised in a way where it's like, we're not going to put you through that. So yeah. I was raised kind of with a bit of an identity crisis. My grandmother was disenfranchised. And, and what that means is uh, back in the day, the way the um, Indian Act works, you know, with your status and everything like that is if you, 
really at the end of the day, the, the status is, it was the, the whole purpose of status and the, and the original people who, who set that up were wanting to get rid of the Indian problem. Like, let's just say it how it is. It, um, so she got disenfranchised for marrying a non-Indigenous man. I mean, lo and behold, he's got an Indigenous blood in him too, like from somewhere in Quebec. Um, so he really wasn't non-Indigenous, uh, but she lost, she chose to. And I, I think she purposefully, she was the oldest of the sisters. So of course, none of her sisters were disenfranchised. They just knew not to marry their husband, their partners. So I have cousins all with their status and they all grew up with their status and they all got to go to school because they had status. And then, right. you know, then there I was this, this from a disenfranchised grandmother, which I've learned about now. And then I just have attitude about status anyway. <laughs> in the end, but I'll come back to that. Um, what moved me out West is I, you know, I had these people saying, I see you working with your people. And I thought that that was strange, but it kept on coming to me that this was something that I was going to be doing. And then, uh, lo and behold, an opportunity came for me to start traveling and doing some work in indigenous communities in Ontario with youth. Um, it, the thing, the, the program was called Base Camp on the Res. And from there, that basically started like a 25 plus year journey of me traveling to probably well over 400 reserves in this country. Um, you know, with that organization, several other organizations, organizations I started myself and now filming Wild Archaeology. I'm also a singer. I sing traditional music from all over Turtle Island. Oh, yeah. With hand drum. And I've toured. Canada doing that and Germany and New Zealand. And it's been, it's been a journey, <laughs> but yeah, that took me, that took me out West and took me on a, um, working with the youth at that point, took me on this incredible journey of reclamation of coming back to myself. And now I'm back on the homelands. I'm back on my res. I'm, you know, fishing every week. And I'm, you know, I'm learning of the medicines, collecting the medicines, using the medicines, and well from the medicines, and that's that's you know where I'm at. So when you say medicines, what what exactly does that entail? That entails the entire bush that we stand in. You know, like when I when it's the Garden of Eden out there. Like seriously, yeah. I, people people do not realize like we have everything we need when we're standing in the bush. And when I'm, st I feel like a kid in a candy shop because I can tell you what's for what. I can point at like the whole bush and tell you that's good for your lungs. So much out there is good for your lungs. Just an FYI, there's so much for your lungs that will heal you. Like it excites me. I have like things that you smoke that will open up your lungs. Like we were onto things. And I come from a, a medicine woman. My great grandmother was a medicine woman. So she practiced the trees and she made teas with a lot of the trees and I've become well from the trees. I had Lyme disease. I got bit by a tick 22 years ago and got sick with Lyme disease, lost teeth, got super sick. Pharma did nothing for me. They you never do. Did, you know what did everything for me? <laughs> yeah. Going back. Yeah. Going back to the bush. And I yeah. mean, I can't stress this enough to people when they say, that, you know, the uh, like natural healers and Arvaic medicine and that that is somehow alternative healing. It actually makes me laugh because that was there long before 
germ oh, theory yeah. became a thing long before big pharma there were healers in villages and there were people that were able to you know heal people solely off of things that are in the forest so i don't i always get a good chuckle at that i think it's absolutely hilarious that we've been you know brainwashed oh, yeah. into thinking that it's somehow a healthcare system it's a sick care system they don't make oh, money okay. if you're well period I, they I'm, make money I'm, and i'm like sick. like i'm definitely that person that like 100% like i took pharma i lost teeth i lost yeah. teeth my teeth were falling out like things were going sideways and they were going sideways really yeah. fast you know that never made me well and the cr crazy part of you saying that about alternative medicine is yeah like even things, cause I'm studying my practice, I'm studying to become a practical master herbalist as well. Cause it's important to have the knowledge of human anatomy and everything as well in knowing I can know the medicines, but I need to know how it's going to work with your body, you know, given if there's any other things going on in your body yeah. so that I can help people properly. It's responsibility that we have. Right. Um, I don't even know where I was going to go with that. I just lost my train of thought. I just went off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what I was going to say is that the whole idea of this like alternative medicine, but all these medicines, all of this pharma is literally derived from, from natural medicine, from the plant kingdom. So yeah. like aspirin coming from the aspen tree is like, they, they, they took that and made a synthetic version of it. Yeah. It's, it's the alternative that's the real deal. That's, that's full, filled with chi. That's filled with life. Like when I go harvest something and I use that right away, I can still feel the life force coming from it. Absolutely. You know? So I get excited about it because it is, it's part of my DNA and part of my whole journey coming here to where I'm at right now, back on the homelands. Um, you know, it's like I got Lyme disease, but it was kind of also this gift within this journey of my indigenous my indigenous reclamation you know I, I started working with youth and traveling across the country and going to communities and I would create this incredible bond with all these youth and all of these communities that I was going to these were this was my earlier years like 20 some odd years ago right um and and I that was when my heart started to open up because that's when I started to begin to feel my indigeneity I think mm. Prior to that, I was kind of, we were just, I was raised on the other side of the res, didn't really go to school with the res kids, had a few res friends and, it, but, and where I live, it was like kind of town res, town res, town res. So we were all just together. And there was luckily in the time that I was raised, not a lot of racism, but we did, I was raised in a town where there's a residential school and there, you know, and that was a, that building was a part of our lives. Um, when I was traveling across the country, you know, 20 plus years ago, I started going to communities where they were speaking their, their language. And this was my first experience. I was like, what? There's people still speaking like our language. Are you serious? And that's like, you know, my heart's cracking open more. And these kids would bond with me as opposed to a lot of my non-Indigenous team members, a lot more. And it was, that was the beginning of this whole opening to like really me accepting and seeing who I was, because I think my grandmother would tell me, don't be an Indian, it's not gonna do you any good. Like, don't be an Indian. So I kind of grew up with this whole, uh, okay, I don't even know what that means, but 
okay. And you can't really grow up denying who you are. Well, and, and, and let me, let me ask you about that actually. Like what, when she said that to you, I know obviously it didn't resonate right away, right? It was something that just kind of didn't make sense. But now that you've had some time to kind of grow and and really process that, what does that statement mean to you? Like, what do you think she was trying to um, kind of get across to you with that statement? I think that, you know, she was brought up in a time where there was a lot of shifts and changes happening. Those were the years, like her generation didn't have even live that long because there were a lot of shift and changes going on. And also, you know, we haven't even touched on this and we'll come to it, but there was a lot of like jabs and all that sort of stuff happening back in those days too. But there was just so many things going on with residential schools, with um, my, my great grandfather was chief. So he had, he had like, Two of my uncles went to, two of my great uncles went to residential school because it was a boys' school for a long time. And I think with that knowledge of whatever was going on there, he kept all the rest of his kids out of that. But there was, it was just a weird time. It was a time of segregation. It was a time where like, you know, Indians weren't allowed to sit in certain places or that sort of stuff. Like there, it was in that time. So I think for in her mind, she was trying to, you know, support something better, like a better life, you know? And of course I didn't understand that then, like even the building that was a residential school, I didn't know that that even was a residential school until I was in my twenties. I sang in that building. I sang and I would hear stories about, you know, at night you can hear kids cry, like, like in this, like, and it wasn't used anymore for that. It was like the hall part was used, but the rest of the building wasn't used. And I would think to myself, why would you hear kids cry? Like, like what, you know, and nobody would talk about it. The great right. aunties, they, the great aunties never talked about it. If you brought up residential school, they're like, nope, nope, we don't talk about it. And I have like second cousins who like, you know, became really big artists in, 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 um, uh in Toronto like who've got like who've got pieces up at the the uh what's the art the Ontario art like the school of arts is what you're talking about downtown yeah my my cousin Bonnie but my my great aunt like had such an issue with the fact that she really wanted to do indigenous art like she was really bothered by it like don't do that so they were really they were really trying to um just I don't think they wanted to whitewash us, but they kind of were because they just thought we would do better in the world if we, if, you know, if we just lived that life. Now, were they parts of like, did they go to these residential schools? So from what I hear, my, my great aunts and my grandmother didn't, but my great uncles did. And um, my, one of my great uncles uh, he died uh, uh, like an insane alcoholic. Like he, 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 he died from a hiccup. That's how much he drank. He hiccuped and he died. Wow. Yeah. And he was an incredible hunter and an incredible fisher. Like he could show up and tap you on the shoulder in the bush. Like, and you wouldn't even know that he walked in, like, you wouldn't have heard him. Like he was just like this, he knew the bush and he, you know, and so it's just so sad, but there was, 
there's just so many stories and there's so many stories that come out of it. I mean, like I heard stories of him in particular, but this isn't like the only time we've heard the story of like, you know, he had, he peed the bed. So he had to like wear his wet, you know, sheet on top of him, you know, and stand like, like the dunce cap sort of deal, you know, those, those sorts of things, like those sorts of stories. So and I think the, the, the reason that I asked that is because like, for somebody to tell a kid basically that in order for you to thrive, you should almost forget your culture. That seems like a very, very bold statement that needs that to have. Right. It's just one of those things, right? Like it's like, it's almost like these poor people have been. And it really like, it fucking pisses me off to say, right. That like somebody would have their culture stolen from them and told that it is something that they are not allowed to express in any magnitude or else, you know, there's almost a consequence for it. So now they have, you know, the elders telling the children in that time, like, Hey, you know, you, you don't want to be, you know, Indian, you don't want to, you know, express your culture. You would much rather try to fit in with the white man in order to get somewhere with your life. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it just, Again, for me, it's I've grown up in in, you know, the call it like the, you know, the suburbs kind of deal. Right. Like I've, I was in Toronto and Whitby and now I'm in Brantford, like nowhere crazy. Right. So, yeah, for me, this is like. It, it's mind boggling to me to see that young people are told this. It, it genuinely bothers. Me. It, it mm -hmm. sounds so absurd to me that you would tell a kid that. But in the case of the residential schools and. I'll be honest with you. The last like two weeks, I've been really looking into the, the residential schools and man, it gets, it gets so heavy. Like it's very heart heavy. Like the oh. shit, that I, man, it's, I've had trouble sleeping like, and I've been doing this whole quote unquote conspiracy theorist thing. I've been right every time, but we'll call it conspiracy theory. I prefer fortune teller now, but yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, getting into this and, and, and I'm used to hearing about, you know, like the pedophilia and all of what's involved with these elites. But I think maybe maybe it's because I have lost heritage with my great grandmother who was in a tribe in Quebec and I'll never know her. I'll never know where she came from. I'll never know anything about that. And maybe it's because like in people's DNA, these things are passed down in DNA, like traumatic Absolutely. experiences. So it's one of those things like I've never had something hit me this hard in my entire life of research, right? In these last two weeks, like it's been fucking miserable to like, even just man. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> oh, I, I don't doubt it. And, and quite honestly, this is why I'm here. This is why I want to, when something intrigues me, I have to go full bore ahead. I have to make sure people are held accountable. I get like a little obsessive about it. And especially when I hear that people have been treated this way, right? Like I can never listen to the Canadian anthem and ever sing it again, right? Yeah. Like it, it fucking, there's like this sinister, you know, overtone that's kind of clouded it now for me that I just can't like Canada day. It's I, I just, I fucking can't anymore. No. Right. Like after yeah. listening to what this country was built on. So, um, I mean, the thing is, is like people are like, you know, people look at this as a 150 thing and, you know, the government or just the residential school, but you have to consider it from, 
even before then and you have to you have to consider the pictures that that's that's been painted of indigenous peoples i mean really at the end of the day as indigenous peoples we were a threat we were a threat to to the discovery of the new world like think of call it what it is call it what it was right from right from the get go right i mean that's why you know in the americas too, like when when they came to america with slaves like they came armed with like other people who were going to like you know yeah being yeah. buffalo soldiers and all that it's like it's so sad like that you know if you go deep in there and it's like you know even just like learning about the fur trade alone and learning about the treatment of our women way back then way back then the men came over they didn't have women who did they have our women you know let's talk about that too our women have been treated a certain way for a long time and our people have been treated a certain way and not by everybody i don't say i don't believe that every settler that came here i believe there were a lot of french lovers who just met our women and were just like whoa yeah like these women are hardcore because we were we 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 were we are i mean like even still i've heard i've heard of like you know nurses who work in the maternity ward who are like the quietest women during childbirth are indigenous women you guys just hunker down and get her done, you know, yeah, like, yeah. silent and just like, no, you know, no screaming, no, whatever. It's like, and since, you know, so all along, you know, you consider the killing of the Buffalo, you know, it was the killing of the Buffalo was to starve out the people. Like this yeah. is stuff like in any, in any industry that we did, this was our land. So we knew how it worked. Like my, my journey led me to a TV show that I host called wild archeology. span and so I've done archaeology from coast to coast to coast. I've been up to Nunavut, I've been to Tuktoyaktuk, I've been out to Labrador, I've been all over the place. And when you see, and you're in the dirt, like in a unit that's like 10 feet deep, and you see chronologically how we've lived in harmony with this land for as long as we have. No like plastic, no cigarette butts, no all the crap, whatever. And right. we smoked, we smoked things. But we we lived in harmony with the land. It's all yeah. organic material, everything for a long time. So any industry that would have come like farming, we would have thrived. And anytime we did, you'd get moved to reserve move. That's so as as confederation, as these as these laws were changing, as Europeans were coming more and more, all of these things were changing, you know, during, you know, a lot. a lot during the fur trade you know and like when you got to start delving into you know these schools starting at that point or how our women were treated at that point how how it changed when european women came here and how brutally our women were treated after that let's let's so, talk about the women actually for a while i think this is a a topic that quite honestly of of everything that i hear i don't think this is given as much attention as it seems like it deserves so let's let's put that on blast yeah i mean i like you know you talk about like delving into this for two weeks as as an indigenous artist i have um as, especially as an indigenous artist i have not been able to make a career you never see an indigenous indigenous artist or actor playing the main role in a hollywood film you just don't You don't see an indigenous actor, you know, playing a lawyer or whatever. You see us playing Indians. That's what you see us playing. Yeah. And so every role that I've played as an indigenous woman has re-traumatized me over and over. And I have I've had to step in and I've had to step into the character of murdered and missing women more than once. 
I've had to step into the character of prostitute more than once. I've had to step in the character of, you know, addicted more than once and or, or, or sexually abused more than once. Some of these are personal triggers and some of them are DNA triggers, but all of it re-traumatizes me. Yeah. You know, all of it. So I did a show called Unnatural and Accidental Women. And it was the inaugural opening for Indigenous Theatre Canada in Ottawa at the National Arts Centre. And that was in 2019, summer 2019. Um, and it was just so intense. Well, there was, so, there was a bunch, it was a powerhouse cast of Indigenous artists from across Canada, uh, women. And it was just so intense because we could, it was almost like you could feel the spirits of all these women that have been like, they're, they're, they're lost or they're frozen in time coming to us while we were in Ottawa. Like I got chills just talking about it. You could feel the women coming and I, yeah. It was, uh, it was super intense that, that at the end of that year, I actually um, had a major accident and slammed my face into a tree at 50 kilometers of an hour and got 19 stitches. Luckily I lived and, and I can still talk. Um, but that year wrecked me because I had played, it was like I played one too many roles and I couldn't carry that anymore. And I think the, 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 the 115 kids in Kamloops to Kamloops, cause my kids are, were born there. And I always felt that spirit there that rocked me and it rocked me in and reminded me of all of these roles I've played and all of these, um, stories that I've kept for so long and I, I've been rocked for a long time, you know, yeah. all the while kind of dealing with Lyme disease too, which I, which I got in Kamloops, ironically, Crazy. ironically, I got so sick in Kamloops and there, and it's like all, all of a sudden it comes full circle and I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know? So what we see of murder and missing women right now, this has been pe perpetuated since the very beginning. I mean, people don't want to look at for truth for what it is, but the abuse of and the treatment of was an idea that was perpetuated from the beginning. And then it, like it got even sick to the point, and there's some books I could recommend, recommend, but it it got sick to the point where the half-breed woman was like, you know, she was the preferred, you know, well, ooh, we like, we like the half-breed woman, you know? So there's this, and I lived that, I lived this perpetuated feeling of feeling like I'm a slut I don't I'm not even doing anything yeah, but yeah. just that that feeling and being treated like that and and even in my adult years like I've been a rotary member uh in Vancouver and I've had like very very rich rich men who think I'm their Indian princess it's still this weird perpetuated sick thing Oh yeah. Like, I don't know. I, yeah, I've had some really sick things with like older men who just, I don't know what it is. So there, there's this thing. And I think people don't recognize these narratives that have been perpetuated for a long time. Like the yeah. lazy Indian, like it comes from the same time, the same time where industries were taken from us and we were told you can't do this. So we're going to take this piece of land and we're going to farm it now and we're going to reap the benefits from it, not you. You know, they weren't the lazy Indian. They were having those things taken away from them, you know, but people don't look at that sort of stuff. And why would they? Because we weren't taught shit in history. 
at yeah. all, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like when I was filming Wild Archaeology, I actually felt kind of like a kid. I was like, I feel like a bit of an idiot. Like here I am and I know nothing about who, you know, who I am. And this is just so sad to me. And I, and my experience versus my co-host who was, uh, he was raised in, um, in Saskatchewan and he was raised kind of with Dakota upbringing and he was, you know, raised in Sundance and he was raised here hearing about, you know, like sitting bull, like he was having a totally different growing up experience than I was, you know, I was in from Northern Ontario. I was from the great lakes. I was from like first impact. This is first impact where we are. You know, yeah. where we live is first impact. When you think about settlers coming in, Great Lakes, you're thinking of the Hudson's Bay and all of that sort of stuff. So um, the, the impact that took place here, you know, it, it affected a lot of people. And I didn't actually notice how different we were until I went out West. And then all like so many indigenous people out West were just like heads up high, like just real proud Indians. And I was just like, the heck, there's real proud Indians around here. Lots of Crees, Crees are real proud, <laughs> but like just really proud indigenous people. And especially uh, the Coast Salish people, especially right on the, the shores of, of the, you know, of Vancouver and, and the, the, um, the nations all around there because they're unseated. They didn't go into treaty. You know, and so then I learned so much, you know, so much just being around that. And, you know, little by little, like on my journey, it's just been this like, you know, like picking berries, just like this, this reclamation. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is like, and it shouldn't be our responsibility to be teaching the rest of Canadians. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is who is, who is. Well, and that, that's the problem that we have here is like, again, I have somebody not, not far off, like two generations off from me that was part of a tribe in Quebec. And this is something that I have no knowledge of, right? Mm -hmm. Like none whatsoever. It's like, it's never talked about, right? Like even my grandmother, my, my dad's mother, who I've only met like once in my life, she's got a ton of Indian in her and, and and again it's it's shit that I'll never know and whatever happened there the disconnect between him and his mom or whatever happened end of the day me and my kids suffer for it and all of us are like you know tan skin it, it, it's weird right it, it's something that you look in the mirror and it's like you know I can see me but I don't see all of me mm -hmm. it's, it's a very strange kind of and the problem with that is it leaves this void right it leaves this void of now like, I don't know if if what I'm trying to do right now in, in, in completely switching directions is selfishly because of some sort of way I feel about my own lost heritage, or if it's that it just fucking hurts your soul to hear what's happened. Yeah, and, and maybe people, it's a right? combination. And, and I think that's what it is. And, and I just feel like, like I need to do something about it because there's nobody asking questions. Right. And these are questions like, this is a flame that is just like reignited. And now it's like, you know, the last couple of years, I've truly found my voice. 
I've truly found, you know, like, okay, well, you're just a natural leader. You have a way with words. You have a way with people. You can help people understand things, make things a little more digestible. So maybe, maybe that's what my calling is now. I don't know. I just know that there's information about this so-called country, this beloved country, you know, land of the free, home of the brave. Get the fuck out of here with that. We know that that's not true now. Yeah. But it, um, again, like, it's strange being a 32 year old man and, and not truly knowing my country. So while it may seem as though, you know, I, I like the way you put it, right? Like you, you just don't know, like we, we've just never been told we've never been taught. We've never been. So I feel almost like it's my responsibility with my platform as it's growing so rapidly to start making that something that children are taught about young. So we can learn to like, look, in the last how many years, there's been this giant divide. I'm supposed to hate you. You're supposed to hate me. If you're a different skin color, I should hate you. And it just this, this perpetual cycle that is never going to end unless we end it. And when this whole, you know, COVID thing hit, vaccinated, unvaccinated, masker, anti-masker, like they just keep creating these, these walls and these divides between people. And I feel like all of this, to maybe somehow in the future start to create programs and and educate and connect with people like yourself who can who can teach me the knowledge that I don't know and and take it and 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 redirect that energy and and just just to keep you know what I mean like keep that circle of information flowing right it's almost hard to explain because I got to be honest with you this this whole thing is super overwhelming for me I don't get overwhelmed with anything right like but this whole scenario I think because it is so like close to, to that, that void that I've been staring at in the mirror for years, that it really does create this hunger to know more, this hunger for people to know more. And that's the problem that we have is we just, yeah. we're taught briefly in school, but I never listened in school. And I'm a firm believer that the people that did really well in school are typically the people who all fell into the narrative that happened now. Oh, right. Yeah. Because oh, they all just went by the book. <laughs> right. And exactly. Like they went to these little indoctrination centers that they call elementary schools and high schools and universities where you, you know, you, you, you pay money you don't have to study shit that doesn't matter to find jobs that don't exist. Right. Like that's exactly how it goes. But, you know, we, we learn a little bit about, you know, settlers and, and how this happened, but nowhere near enough. No. Right? And like, you said something about being disturbed and, and, you know, and, and partially because of like, you know, wanting to discover, you know, part of who you are, but every freaking Canadian should be absolutely disturbed because you're standing on a graveyard. 100%. Every single Canadian should be disturbed and should be alarmed and should be taking a, a moment or more than a moment to truly understand what, what it means to live here. But the unfortunate thing about, Canadians and and this time especially this time and Canadians this time with the pandemic and this time with what's you know with 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 what's happening within our communities like uh, I don't know I I just the fact of the matter is is in this time we're just we're just getting so like you said earlier we're we're getting we're get, we're create there's these divides that are being created in between us and we're not stopping to pay attention to what's really happening one thing that i that i um kind of realized in my journey well 
in my many journeys across the country is, of course, you get to know people, you get to know communities, you get to know stories, you listen to elders. Um, in all the work that I've done, I've had some pretty incredible opportunities that a lot of people haven't had and get to hear a lot of stuff. And of course, especially in my journey doing wild archaeology, I'm learning history and I'm learning it on a different you know, on a totally different level, you know, and, and a totally different perspective. And then, and then, and then because of that, that made me delve even further after my journey of like doing archaeology and digging and learning in that one particular place, it kind of got me continuing to learn more because I would love to write a series um, that kind of depicts us more like Vikings than the other stuff that we see, you know, to show our women who the powerhouses that we were not to see what people see or think of who we are, but to show who we really were. And I'm saying all that to say that there's so many as aspects of history that people don't know. And, and I don't, I actually don't begrudge like my fellow Canadian, non-Indigenous Canadian and say like, you asshole, like, how come you don't know? Well, I didn't know either. I've had to do the work. And we all have to do the work. If you live here on this land, and what, uh, what I was going to say before we got cut off is, you know, as Canadians, we've become there's there's been there's been this very spoiled sense and this very fake life that everybody's been brought up into, like so uninvolved too. It's like, oh, we have free medical, we have such a great country. Oh, you know, it's like, but what people don't realize is we've been so uninvolved with the the like like every Canadian, not including the, the Indigenous people, but as, as a Canadian, they've been so uninvolved in their own collective lives other than building some fake facade of like, you know, the futures that we were fed, but like my generation was fed like in the eighties, this like perfect like future or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's this sense of apathy or complacency with Canadians because there's been so little involvement in the building of Canada to their to their understanding at all. Even even like the the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that Pierre Trudeau basically yeah. formed, there there was no Canadian involved in pouring any like who, who the people were a part of that. You know what I mean? There's so much about this country. Like Duncan Campbell Scott was the deputy superintendent um, in the Department of Indian Affairs which is where you get your Indian status. Well, he enforced and expanded residential schools. That was like the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and lo and behold, he was enforcing, you know, the residential schools and his quote that you can, you can look it up. His quote is, was to get rid of the Indian problem. This wow. is late 1800s, early 1900s, his quote. And you can... Duncan Campbell Scott, look it up. You know what I mean? Like this is, he oversaw the, the, the failed treaty process. He was a big part. This is people within the government. And, you know, so as an indigenous person, and so for me, and I mentioned this earlier about, you know, um, uh, Indian, um, what do I call it? Department of Indian Affairs, but like, you know, getting your status, getting your status card. Well, I have a real issue with the Indian Act what has been created was right and right right from the horse's mouth what was started with the indian act was to get rid of the indian problem and the fact that he was doing this during tuberculosis and i don't want to like speculate something i don't know i haven't done like 
extensive research in this, but I do know that there was an, a tuberculosis infirmary in Kamloops at the same time as the residential school. Now, this is just one story that I know of. A residential school survivor from Kamloops was an elder who lived in the downtown east side of Vancouver, and she had scars all over her body of all these different operations that had been done on her because she was told her whole life that she had tuberculosis and they needed to do tests on this and they needed to do tests on that. She doesn't even know what parts of her body are gone or still there. Well, lo and behold, in her, in her latter years, she found out she never had tuberculosis. She's an elder. She's still living. I, I don't know if she's still living at this point right now, but it, this was, I heard this story only a couple of years ago. And this is just like one of many stories, but that's like, so when I think of stuff like that, or when I think of doing, you know, like the fact that there's this tuberculosis infirmary in the same town as this school and knowing that that was in operation at the exact same time. And this guy wanted to get rid of the Indian problem one plus one, you know, like, let's yeah. just like, look at you. Let's just be real. And like, this isn't, this isn't the first time it's like, you know, uh, the smallpox epi epidemic, you know, I, I, I've done archeology span where I'm like seeing all this, you know, amazing, you know, uh, history taking place. And then all of a sudden you can tell that, that the place that was occupied for so long is no longer occupied. And it's like, you know, and I remember this one place that I was at in Seashell, it was probably about this far, like from the, from the spot that the occupation stopped to the ground that people walk on. And he said, why do you, why do you think that it just stopped so abruptly right there? And I was like, uh, I don't know, they, they moved. And he says, yes, but if they lived here, why would they have had to have moved? He said, think about it. And then, you know, through discussion and it's, you can see it on the episode, it was, it was the smallpox epidemic. They died. Some of them died. They had to move. They had to go to different, they had to, you know, find different places to be places that they occupied for a long periods of time. And you can tell they couldn't occupy anymore. So like when you, that, like that impacts me because there's a his, there's a history here. There's a history here with our government. There's a his, there's a story, there's an untold story or, or stories that not, isn't, aren't told enough or aren't, you know, Doug, I go down rabbit holes and I have, I've had to, you know, as, um, as a writer, as an actor, as a host of this show, I had to go down those rabbit holes. Um, and it is di really difficult for me within the Indigenous community that we are divided when it comes to what's happening right now, because for me, it's very black and white. For me, even it with, and, and I think, like I said to you earlier, this illness that I got with having Lyme disease came as a blessing to me because I got to see very swiftly uh, what the ph what pharmaceuticals were all about, what that whole system yeah. was all about, and not only that, Lyme disease is super controversial. So I get I get this disease where I'm seeing a doctor a decade ago who's losing his license for helping people with Lyme, and I'm like, hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Why you lose your license to help people. Well, and then I realized, oh shit, Lyme patients fatten the pharma cow something fierce. Yeah. And, and a lot like the, uh, I actually have a couple things with what you were going on, uh, going on with. Uh, firstly, with that elder you were talking about that has all of those scars, 
that as though she was like a, a test subject. I don't know if you've watched the series yet called Utopia. That mm-hmm. is that is very, very eerily similar to what's going oh, on right now. Totally, yeah. The main character, Jessica Hyde, at the end of the first season, you see that she has all of these scars all over her yeah. from all the diseases that they've pumped into this woman. So that just gave me like instant uh, kind of deja vu to that scene yeah. when they lift up her shirt. I got totally. like goosebumps right when you said that. Oh, God. Um, and uh, in regards to smallpox, so the smallpox actually was just contamination like it was actually nothing that had to do at all with the virus it because and we know this because they tried uh they tried everything from people um you know putting saliva from one mouth into the other lung fluid from one person into the other they put bags on the head of animals that were sick and then tried to contaminate other animals they were never able once to transmit the infection if it was a virus then they should have been able to and it was funny because they created the they contaminated the water with a substance that got tons of people sick same way they're fucking with the water supply now in the the indigenous communities it's like history will just continue to repeat itself but then they do exactly what they're doing now they create something false and then they create the fear train and then they come in and say hey we have the solution so what do you see in the indigenous community right now in regards to this covid thing so when the Let's go back to like when it first happened, uh, let's say November, although I know it goes way back before that, when it became mainstream in November of 2019, how did the indigenous community take it? What happened? And let's just kind of start to unpack that. I mean, we were in the middle of like stopping the CN rail for like against the pipeline. And like we were in the middle of like, you know, doing so much like I was in the middle of doing a show in 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 Toronto um at the beginning of that year like just before like everything got shut down in March you know we I remember like it was just like and it was like uh, it was the seventh fiery prophecies the show that I was doing but we were in the middle of like being you know actively fighting for the land and the waters and you know we've been actively fighting against colonialism and 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 you know uh what is it you know, decolonizing, decolonizing ourselves, decolonizing our way of thinking and all of that sort of stuff. So I, for me, a lot of things have come as a shock in that I know within my community, there are a few people that I'm like, oh yeah, we're, you know, but I, but there are a lot of influential Indigenous people and people who I've worked with. And that's why I'm like, you know, I get a little nervous. I'm like, should I go incognito? Do I really share how I really feel? What are the, what are the, you know, repercussions of that? What are people, you know, you know, it's all, all of these thoughts, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. At, this point, at this point, you think of the, you know, of what that looks like, because unfortunately now we know that this is happening and there's a total, I've had arguments about, about the mask with someone because they saw a picture of me without it on in a grocery store and they were just so offended because my family members had COVID and I'm thinking, are they okay? Like, okay. Like I didn't, not to be insensitive, but it's like, you know, I do actually have an exemption. I actually have a letter from my doctor. I slammed my face into a jack pine tree and have a major scar and I can't feel half my face. And it gets me anxious. I don't like it. I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, I just don't like it. I don't, this has happened in other countries yeah. for, for reasons of, you know what I mean? We know that. 100%. We know that women, 
A hundred percent. They did that in the Middle East forever, and it was never used as a, oh, there's a virus. It was always used as a, let's dehumanize you to a point where, as soon as you take this away, I'm no longer anything other than a pair of floating eyeballs, right? Like, you, you don't, you don't feel the person the same, right? It, it, and for instance, like, uh, take somebody's dog, right? You go out for a walk and all these people are, you know, with their masks on and all of a sudden your dog is doing shit that it normally doesn't, right? It's getting more defensive. It's growling because it can't, it, it can't read people. Yeah. And I mean, going back to what you said now, what I try to explain to people is, and, and I've converted a lot of people like this. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's say 80% of the people you speak to are just, they've drank the Kool-Aid and they won't stop mixing new powder. You know what I mean? Like they just, they're, yeah. they're so, and it's like, okay, well, here's a question. Then you keep talking about infections. You keep talking about how many people are getting sick from this, but with your eyeballs, how many people have you seen die with your eyeballs? How many people on the side of the road have you seen dead? Yeah. And in regards to the indigenous community, there was somebody that, uh, you know, sent me a video of these uh, very famous elders. I can't recall the name because there's been like a thousand different inquiries since I put the uh, the bat signal out for everybody to kind of, you know, refer me to people. Yeah. But, you know, they were heavily influential. And then, you know, I'm listening to them talk about the culture and everything. And I was like, wow, this is these guys are amazing. And then they started talking about now all we have to do is get vaccinated. And I'm like, fuck. Right. Oh. Like, how can you be so intelligent and so fucking blind all in the same paragraph like it doesn't i've instantly lost all interest in hearing what comes out of your mouth because the same government that has destroyed your entire peoples since they came here are the same people that are telling you that they're going to give you an untested experimental dose of something that has (laughs) never been tested on humans and you're telling your entire communities that are already struggling to take this shit and the pipeline keeps going yes. and the water still doesn't get fixed and the ancient trees are being pulled out. Like, let's see things for what they are. And that is the hard part for me. And I think, you know, I have just continued to use the word body sovereignty. That's what I've been using. Yes. I've, been, I've been speaking of my own body sovereignty. And I come from my great grandmother, Maggie Miwasagi, and she was a medicine keeper. She was a medicine woman. And she knew, she knew, you know, in as much as my great grandfather, who was a chief of uh, in, in this community, knew that we would have to leave. He knew that the world was changing. He, he, you know, I, I do believe that he wanted us to go out, out in the world so that we could, that, and, you know, he did say, you guys will leave, but you'll come back. And I have come back. And I don't know who of, of my family will, but there's something about the, the, the going away and the coming back, especially in this time, because I came back in COVID. Um, and it's just, um, I don't know, for me, I am so grieved when I see this within our communities because of the fact that I have had this incredible opportunity to see history from a different viewpoint. And I see this so clearly, but I mean, I have colleagues with whom I work with who see this very differently too. And the, the, the fact is, is, is fear is a prison. And I can tell you one thing on every single reserve, you might not have running water, but there's dishes. Everybody's got a dish. 
every like way yeah. way way up north you might not have like good water you might have to bring in bottled water and pay like you know pay out the nose for any groceries that you get and there's no like you know you're not even on on good land or good soil or whatever to even grow gardens or anything like that but we'll make sure that you get like whatever the company is that goes up there you know starve you or whatever you know and i'm just like bell satellite or whatever and i'm like this is brutal that that programming has been happening for a long time i mean first you get the per, the perpetuated idea of this this lazy indian you know concept that 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 you know canadians has have believed that became exactly what it was that became exactly what they said and then this this life and that was exactly how they wanted it though though and so because then it made something like this a lot easier. And unfortunately, if you're an, like, there's a lot of indigenous influencers who really truly believe that they're, you know, doing something for the community and for the elders. But I'm, I'm sad because we have teachings and we need to go back to that. You know, even the whole idea of reserves is just like this, it's, there's no sovereignty. It's like segregation. Like, it, and not only that, like in order for me to have a band membership, so to be a member of my reserve, I have to register and get my status, register, be a registered Indian with the government. That's what that's what status is. I have to be a registered and dangle the carrot here. You can go to school here. You know, you can get cheaper gas. Here's the carrot so that you register yourself as an Indian and there and there's implications behind that. And the implications right from back to what I said earlier was to get rid of the, the Indian problem. You know, this is, this is how it's done. And the, and I was super alarmed knowing that these jabs were going into our communities first. I mean, well, history repeats itself over and over and over and over a hundred percent. You, you hit the nail dead smack on its head because yeah. See, the problem is this, and I've been trying to explain this to the black community as well. If you go back in history, they actually launched the first experiments to create HIV. And HIV was basically yeah. created because they said that they were doing cancer research. So they waited a few years till they perfected it, sent it over to Africa in a whole bunch of smallpox uh, vaccinations with a whole bunch of do good people who thought that they were there to give vaccinations to these people to keep them safe, wound up giving them HIV within the following year. There was millions of people who died. Right. And it, they, they always tested on. So first they tested it here in North America on the quote unquote undesirables, which were the homosexuals at the time. Why? Because they were typically drug addicts. They had the perfect out. You guys are sticking yourselves with dirty needles. This is how you got this foreign blah, blah, blah. And then they kind of make it seem because if you look at the way HIV started, like somebody had sex with a monkey. Like, uh, really? Have you ever yeah. seen how strong a chimp is? You go yeah. try doing that and see what happens, right? <laughs> like, come on. It's just so ridiculous, right? I know. But people drank the Kool-Aid. And yeah. now they're doing the same thing. Hey, here's something that has killed every animal we've put it in. Nothing has survived. We have no long-term studies. We are changing your DNA. And who do we give it to first? Hey, guys, I just want to let you know, white man bad. We're trying to give this to you first to take care of you because of quality. And it's like, I'm trying to say, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. But because of my skin color, everyone says, oh, man, listen to you, white supremacist. And they've coined that term. They've put that into everybody's head that 
the white man is always the white supremacist and, and you should never listen to them. When I'm like, guys, refuse this. They're not trying to do this. They're just trying to get rid of you first. That's what they're trying to do. They're mm-hmm. testing something on you. So Mr. White Man Bad is actually telling you to put the brakes on what you're believing because they're actually coming after the indigenous and the, um, the minorities first. And that's yeah. exactly what they did. And unfortunately, a lot of them drank the Kool-Aid and how many of them as of late that I've read, uh, it, it blows my mind how, how they, how the Indians of all people could not see through this Right. Like, look at what this government, look at what this country has done to you. You know, and, and I think that, that, that that's just co- goes back to to the whole programming idea. I really, really Absolutely. believe it. I, I mean, my, my father is is like, you know, my father who watched his grandmother and, you know, use the medicines and all of that sort of stuff. He is like hook, line and sinker. And he has been since the 80s. Like this is this is like been years and years and years. I mean. When you start thinking about the sickness of all of this in the last hundred years, even just the sickness within people in the last hundred years, like I think about uh, the medicine that I'm practicing now was basically predominantly the medicine practice. Like uh, the doctors were like Dr. Quinn medicine woman, like they had the pouch, whatever, up until 1918, which what happened then? And, and, you know, there was, there was a, there was an epidemic then, but that was also at the beginning of the establishment of, of that, the Rockefeller establishment of the American Medical Association. That was the early days. Do people not equate the two, you know, and that's the thing. So these, and, and in those years, and the reason I do, and I'll keep on going back to having Lyme disease is because I had huge questions about Lyme disease too. And of course I went down the rabbit hole and like, you know, then if you, I don't know if you know, Jesse Ventura, but I yeah. watched Jesse Ventura's expose yeah. on, you know, revealing some stuff. And I, and then of course, that's why when this happened, I was wide awake when this happened and it was like a two week quarantine. I was like, I, in the two week quarantine, I said, just wait, you're going to have to have passports to travel. You're going to have to like, you know, and I said in those two weeks, I'm sure glad I did all the traveling that I did because it might not be going <laughs> anywhere like, you know, but yeah. um, there, there's just, there's just so, there's so many things that happen. So having Lyme disease, of course, I go back and there's this whole expose of like what happened after World War II and all of these, these Nazi scientists got asylum in America and Canada and what were they doing? They were studying all these things and what was being studied? Well, there was these Nazi scientists on Plum Island near Lyme, Connecticut, studying vector-borne oh, man. diseases. Oops, all <laughs> of a sudden we lost a tick. All of a sudden people are sick in Lyme, Connecticut. That's why it's called Lyme disease. Yes. Like, yes. When you start going back and finding, <laughs> you know, where did the bug go? I found where the bug went. When you start seeing stuff like that, then you start seeing everything. Like I didn't vax my kids. That was 20 years ago. My son is 20. My daughter is just about 19. I didn't. Because I was alarmed right at the very beginning when my girlfriend, it was the second vax of of her child. And he went from all everything vital, like everything awesome, like everything normal to everything changed. Absolutely. And he's, he's now like, he's autistic and he's an adult and he, you know. And, and with that being said, like, there's a couple things to cover there. So Lyme disease for 100% was man-made. Like none of these diseases were ever here until they started dabbling in what they call modern medicine. 
right? That's when like when the pharmaceutical industry came, that's the only way that this exists, right? So you look at Lyme disease, man-made, and now all of a sudden there's like no treatments for it unless the government gives it to you. But here's another interesting one. So for HIV, when they sent that over to Africa, they had actually said, oh, well, we have the cure, but you're not going to be able to afford it. It's going to cost you a ton of money. So uh, all you have to do is give us your country's assets, right? And that's why till this day, the blood diamonds and they own everything in Africa because of the World Bank. And what's Trudeau trying to do now? Sink us into such big debt that he just sells us off to the World Bank and 2030 comes and you have nothing but you're happy, right? But uh, going back to like the Nazis, so what they did with HIV, their treatment was actually what they call chemotherapy. You know what chemotherapy is, right? Mm -hmm. Mustard gas. (laughs) <laughs> see how it all goes full circle and 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 for nobody to have their eyes open at all like understand that the moment a government comes in and says okay we want to take your guns we want to disarm you if you go back to any country on the planet it's like every 10 years the government will take all of the guns disarm the people and then mass murder a ton of them mm-hmm. it's just the way it goes so With all of that being said, where do you see your community now that the castle is crumbling? Now that we're able to say, hey, uh, you may want to uh, go apologize to your local conspiracy theorists because they were fucking dead on. Right. They were right this whole time. I I don't even think at this point, people, I think the people who CC and the people who don't, don't, I, I, there are certain people that I don't engage though. Most people can say, oh, I can understand why you wouldn't do it. Cause most people know my story. Most people know I have Lyme. They know everything that I've gone through and they've watched me do this total shift. Like I'm, I'm like the food inspiration person. Like I'm all about healthy eating, like your food yeah. and your food and your gut health is your, is, is like, is life. And, you know, and I've learned that because, and I have complete wellness where I am pain-free. This isn't, this doesn't happen, but this happened to me because, you know, because I've, I've followed that, you know, not only that, what, whatever it is that I have in my DNA that pushes me towards that, just, but just the fact that I was given I don't know, this, this horrible yet amazing gift of of getting this, this illness that it made my eyes wide open so quickly. So my eyes have been wide open for a very long time, but unfortunately until people start seeing the detrimental effects and, and even still, because we didn't have any COVID in this community until the shots. And then we lost two elders. Boom, boom. Like, well, yeah, because the shot, I mean, the spike protein is patented. You can't patent anything. Like, nature, do you think anybody right? waited so, that? No, and, and that's it. So, so what happens in the indigenous community then? Okay, so you lose a couple of elders. And then once this wreaks havoc on all of us, it's coming for everyone. It doesn't have a skin preference. It doesn't have a color preference. It doesn't have a culture preference. It is coming after anyone who has gotten it, including those who it's transmitting itself over to, Right. Because now yeah. we're hearing that, you know, the miscarriages are up like fucking 9,000%. Like it's, it's insane, right? What's happening to the people. So in the indigenous community, what happens there when they, you know, when, when one of the elders passes away and then, you know, there, there's a bunch of sick people, like does somebody step up and say, Hey, um, you know, we, we've been duped, we've been lied to and we bought it. And like, what what happens there? How, how does that I work? mean, honestly, it would it would have to be in a, in a mat like at 
I don't know, man, because even in the non-Indigenous community, just like in the community at large, like there is, like I think of my, my father and his partner, like they're totally, she's like, she couldn't wait until she got her second job and now she's got her second job and he's gone to visit her. And it's like, and that's all they talk about. Oh, and so-and-so got their job and so-and-so's got an appointment to get their job. And it's like, we are so like down rabbit holes learning so much truth and, and any, you know, and this isn't, I didn't just go down rabbit holes. Like the stuff that we're all talking about now, my brother and I have been talking about this for 20 years. So when this all went, came down, it was like, hey, yo, bro, stop, hey? Like, right, we <laughs> talking about this. Like, it was just, right, right. Because it was like that. We were talking about that. He, 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 at one point, uh, sometime like in the 90s or early 2000s or whatever, he, somehow he went deep web, dark web, and ended up in like, in somewhere that he shouldn't have been in the whole, like the, the grid went right down and his whole, the power went out of his house. He's like, oops, <laughs> got too far. Like that's where he was at a long time ago. And like, even in the nineties. So like, he's got, he's got friends because he's been talking for so long. All of his friends have come to him and been like, my, his name's Jay, JJ. And, and they're like, Jay, you knew like, holy shit. So they were prepared because he had said all that stuff. And for a long time, they all were like, oh, come on. You're like, call it conspiracy, da, da, da. But they were all prepared because he had talked about it for so long. Yeah. You know, yeah. so a lot, a lot of our mutual friends. And I'm starting to meet people little by little. But I find that the people who feel this way, even within the community, were just laying low. Because there is... The, uh, the opposite side of people and it is and, and we don't want that to create the divide between us like I have a little cousin who's a neighbor and she's like oh you're like my my uncle and, and my papa like they're totally all about Bush and they think this is all bullshit and I was like okay good I'm glad to know that they think that like and she got hers because she's a teacher nah. and she's only like 20 <laughs> I'm like girl you like have like, you know, the best, you know, best chance at recovery. If you, if you were to get this, like I have a girlfriend and after one month to the day after her Pfizer shot, she, she's, she's, she can't feel her from the, from her waist down. Yeah. And that's been happening quite a bit. And I mean, you're talking about with the amount of messages that I get a day. So I wake up every single morning to anywhere between 150 to 300 DMs. And it's always just story or article after article of, you know, this woman was breastfeeding her baby and lost her baby. I heard one today of a 22 month old little girl that is menstruating 22 months old. I said that is menstruating and having clots, having clots the size of small eggs. Right. And you're telling me that this is fucking normal. This This is normal. And people don't see this. Right. And then whenever you're asking these doctors, what are they saying? Oh, well, you know, can't be from the shot. Like there's gotta be something else going on. Right. There's and it's like, guys, make, make the fucking connection. The, you, the, 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 the European database had uh, 12, uh, 12,400 deaths and 1.1 million injuries. Right. I checked it seven days later, there were 13,000 deaths and 1.4 million injuries. This is seven days. There is no product on the planet that has killed this many people. Right. What happened with uh, with the MERS vaccines, right? Like they gave it to like, there was like, I think it was uh, like five or six deaths pu- pulled right off the market instantly, 
but this one just keeps getting pushed through communities. I just, and they, exactly. I don't, I, and I, I literally, I don't understand it. And it grieves my heart because I have for many years, I mean, I've been working with indigenous youth for, you know, over 25 years, but for the past decade, I wrote a play called Beneath the Surface that I toured with um, into communities and into, into high schools about suicide and and you know I talk about residential schools and I talk about the story beneath the surface there are stories beneath the surface and and I I keep on coming back to that with this too there are, are stories beneath the surface and unfortunately you know especially like even in the sense of suicide sometimes you just look at what's what, what's right in front of you and you don't dig beneath the surface and I'm always trying to to you know and like lo and behold after touring with this play about digging beneath the surface and telling you know finding our stories I end up hosting this TV show where I actually yeah. literally dug beneath the surface. And, and I'm always trying to like, I want to inspire that in people because unfortunately we see what's right in front of us. And that's the, you know, when someone takes their life, they don't, they don't see, you know, well, maybe that like in this play, there's this one scene where, you know, this, this kid, she, she's getting bullied and like the, the one who, who, who takes her life she's bullied and she's going through all of, you know, all of this stuff with this girl, but what she doesn't realize, you know, and creator shows her at, at, in another scene in the play that that girl is abused at home. So that's her outlet. Her outlet, you know, was to, to pick on this girl at school because she was like severely abused at home. And it's like, you know, unfortunately in this sort of situation, all people are seeing is the, that fear mongering BS. And that's what I, and I'll just, come back to programming. I watch it in my dad. I watch him watch that news. I watch him believe what's being said. And, you know, it's almost like he thinks what I read when I'm looking on here is BS. He's like, you can't believe everything. I'm like, uh, okay, no, yeah. actually, I'm like going, and I'm going from every which angle, dad. I'm not just like reading just one thing. I will read this from every possible angle, this viewpoint to this viewpoint. Well, you know, it's not very hard to see. Um, I mean, when you get somebody like my father, me and my father just recently stopped talking as well, because I realized that his moral compass and my moral compass are obviously on, on two very different planes of existence. Um, he's a, you know, in his 60s, retired, sits at home, watches the TV and thinks that we should be locked down till this is done doesn't look at the kids that it's killing, doesn't look at, look at the business. Like you have seven year, seven year olds that are thinking that it's better to check out of this life than it is to live in Canada. Like, and you don't see a problem with that. You think that it's okay. But you know, when he's watching the tell lie vision, right. And watching the programming on the tell a vision, like they're telling yeah. you their vision, they're telling yeah. you the lies that you should, you know, visualize. But um, I guess uh, so, in wrapping it up in our last three minutes, um, can, can you leave us with a little bit of uh, a little bit of positivity, a little bit of hope, or just you know uh, a message for the people? I mean, I guess I guess my message for the people, and like you know, in mentioning being so grieved of what I see, is you know we got to dig deeper. You know, like for me with my community, I just keep praying. I just keep on going out there and, and spending time amidst creation and I use my story as my way of, of 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 being a light and of sharing my truth and people can't argue with that 
you know, and I think that that's all that we can do. Do I want to shift the mind of, of my people? Well, obviously, but a lot of people have already made that decision. So it's about love now at this point, because what else can you do? Yeah. You know, we see the truth. I see the truth. I look at history and I want everybody to like critically think really critically think look from every possible angle go down every possible rabbit hole it's really interesting when you go down them anyway so it's amazing what you find out and you'll realize there's things there, there's a pattern and when you yeah. see the pattern you are you are I don't know knowledge is power I say it in my show that's my tagline in the show and I'll say it here too knowledge is power you know the more you know for yourself the more you can do for yourself and also creation was made was created to work in harmony with our biology that the plant kingdom and 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 the plant biology it works in harmony with human biology and we are surrounded with like the most incredible medicine so we don't need to be afraid and that's absolutely. my hope right there <laughs> absolutely that was amazing well uh we're, we're definitely gonna have to do this again in the very near future uh, th this was unreal. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for the experience. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. This was All awesome. Right. All, All right. right. Bye. Bye.